Hey everybody, welcome to episode 3-0. I'm Ken Cooch Van Druten, and that is... This is Chris Raybold. Chris Raybold. How are you, sir? I am How's... Chris Raybold. <laughs> <laughs> I am... That's Chris enough of an answer. Raybold. I'm alright. I'm so, good. I'm good enough. So tell me, man, you got to do a gig. Holy crap. Yeah. Raybold um, does a gig. Rabel does a gig, which is amazing. Yep. The rest of us are super jealous right now. Uh, in fact, you know, I've caught myself a bunch of times like scrolling through Instagram and seeing somebody, uh, you know, doing a gig or they're like, oh yeah, I'm doing, you know, setting up for such and such. And I'm like super jealous. I'm like, oh, totally. And I, and I thought about this week. I posted a few times and I'm like, I know so many people are looking at me being like, man, you douche. Like, don't <laughs> brag. But I try to, it, it's with gratitude and like giddiness. Totally. I mean, and that, that from the bottom of my heart, you know, uh, um, you know, I don't mean that in a horrible way. Like I wish them harm. I'm just no, saying, I'm uh, like, Oh man, I wish I had a gig, you know, right now. Totally. But, um, I, I, that's, that's neat that you got to do that. So I thought that maybe for this one, uh, for the big three Oh, that's 30 hours of stuff hey. that we've just, uh, just God, pontificated about. Isn't that amazing? It really um, is. But I thought for this one, uh, for episode 30, that maybe we just talk a little bit about how that gig went. Uh, maybe a little bit about COVID, like how was the check-in process and like all of that yeah. kind of stuff. Because I think guys will be interested and gals will be interested in uh, how that all may look coming up. Uh, and then let's talk about the gig and how it was and you know all those kind of things. So I don't know. Start us off. Tell, me, tell us what, it, what, what was the gig. Tell us what okay. it was. So first of all, the gig was, uh, it was through PRGVER. Yep. And Chance Stallhut, uh, much like you and I mobilized quickly with this whole thing once COVID hit, once we got the idea that, hey, we're going to be here for a minute, let's do something. He quickly mobilized and perhaps maybe it was already in their plans. I don't know. But they turned their Nashville warehouse, effectively part of it, into a soundstage. So bands can come in and them being the a 360 company, they've got everything, you know, artists can come in, they could stream, they could just tape. I mean, we did both this week. Um, the stream that was a, just a good story was an, Oh, by the way, like two hours before we hit, they're like, nah, we're going to do this in life. And, um, Whoa, which was really, cool. wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, yeah, so that was it. So chance called, and said, hey, man, do you want to come do this? And effectively, what I was, was the A1. So I was the broadcast mixer for this, um, which is different for me because while you and I talk about get, sending mixes to broadcast, and both of us have been in the chair and in, uh, what is, in an advisory role for our respective artists with the broadcast mixers, I mean, I have been a broadcast mixer in the fact that I was sending it, but never in that it's me with the eight bands coming through and their representatives and that whole thing. I've never sat down as that before. So it was really, it was cool. And it was also, um, because it was different, there was an element that was like, Ooh, it's kind of put up or shut up time. And I got to tell you, I thought a lot about the stuff that you and I have spoken about here. 
it, that quadrupled the, it's put up or shut up time. You know? <laughs> awesome. And, um, and so that was it. So I was the A1, I was the broadcast mixer. Ultimately, aside from that one stream, we were just tracking, um, massive, gigantic, biggest shout out I could possibly manage to Chris Diener, who is a production manager, front of house engineer, total badass out of Nashville, um, works with Kelsey Ballerini is his primary act. He was my, I'm not even, would never even use the word assistant. He was the other engineer in the room. I mean, gotcha. I didn't touch tools other than to, he had two redundant rigs running. I didn't touch it other than to loop a section I wanted to listen to. So cool. in a nutshell, that's what it was. Does that paint a fairly? It does. Yeah. Scary? So there's, there's all kinds of uh, questions that I get from all of that, but yeah, that, that uh, paints the picture for sure. Um, so the question becomes, what was that like for dudes? Like, were there front and house guys showing up and like, you know, kind of in a, you being the broadcast guy and you being the guy saying, well, you can have this fader. <laughs> Did that yeah, happen? Yeah. Or, or it was, was it? I didn't have nearly as, yes, but not to the extent you would at, you know, the Grammys or okay. whatever. Not nearly. I think I had. I had a few management types that strolled in um, and that was, you know, definitely a, because it was really loose and it was just such a good vibe in there. I mean, I was just having a blast once I got it going yeah. and I'll talk a little bit about that. I was just having a good time. And then every now and again, someone would stroll in. I'd be like, Oh, right. Professional, you know, and have to play the role. And, um, right. which was great. And I had one guest engineer who came in and he was, they were the only act that day. So we had all day long to talk and to converse and set the stage. It was very chill. And he had just a couple of little notes uh, on a couple songs like, Oh, on this one, you got to pull this up on the track or, you know, it was super chill. So it wasn't, I was prepared for all of that, but there wasn't a ton of that. So I kind of, kind of lucked out on that end, you know? So, um, you know, you know how we've spoken a lot about how to manage ourselves we've talked a lot about on this um channel uh, to you know handle this stuff appropriately and speak to people with respect and you know um uh don't be a dick basically you know we've said that a bunch of times in in different videos um did you have anybody comes in like guns a blazing i did i had and it cool. was happened to be on the day that maybe wasn't chris's best day if you know what i'm saying <laughs> I had a, so basically what we did was, um, I was in a room, God, I don't know, a football field away. I mean, I was a long way away. And, um, uh, what we did was I piped my mix back to filet mignona who was doing monitors, except for the couple people that had, uh, maybe had their own guy with them. <clears throat> but, um, I sent my mix back to him and he sent it to a pair. It was like three Meyer leopards or some smaller Meyer box over a couple Meyers. It was just something to fill the room totally get more, it. For, get it right. Just for reference, just for reference. And, um, so I said, now that was different because in, I have to, I'm, I'm big on, I don't solo. I don't do a lot of solo in place so much as when I'm mixing, particularly when I'm building, I do a ton of muting and I would, I knew what acts didn't, didn't have somebody in the room. I knew where I couldn't, couldn't get away with it. Yeah. But there was a few times where I was like, shit, I can't do my normal stuff because it's going in there. So on this one day we had our first 
what kind of resembled a rock band. Uh, and uh, it was just loud. It was just different than what we'd been doing. And I basically was not concerned about putting that vocal on top till the very end. I was building my mix. So this is take one. And if you also remember in us talking here, I say when I'm in the truck with someone or if I'm in front of house with someone or in any of these things, I don't say shit during the first pass because guess totally. what? I just handed them the building blocks. Like what can you realistically expect? So I kind of built this thing, was kind of not struggling, but it wasn't coming together quite as much. And the vocal was like on, but just not really on. And then immediately following that performance, I get a, Hey, uh, is, is the PA where it's going to be? Is the, um, and, uh, and it's like, yeah, well, you know, really just the vocal. And I'm just like, because you know, they, and I'm like, who's they, you know, of course oh, I start no going way. there knowing nobody can hear me, but the guy I'm talking. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And I realized what's happening. I also, that happened to coincide with me. I use this week as a big learning experience. Like we always should with everything. And I tried different game structures. I came in with one plan, then bailed from it. Then was like, well, shit, I've got three shots left. Let's go back. So ultimately the whole thing was five dB quieter. And I didn't make up for that on the send to the PA. So there was a number of things that made it happen. But, um, Anyway, then the dude, the manager type, does come walking in the room later. And i got to be honest with you, man. It wasn't Irving Azoff walking in that room, and I knew that. It wasn't the most powerful person in the music business. And I said, hey, bud, Chris Raybould, nice to meet you. I was like, you're going to have exactly what you want in just a second. What you heard was me putting the, I went way further than I needed to, if I'm being honest. Yep. And, um, it, with a little bit of snippiness and, um, well, a little bit of alpha pup, right? Like you were, you were bowing up a little bit like, like, Hey, listen, dude, you gotta give me, you gotta give me a pass in order to get it even close. And the fact that you're such a douchebag that you came to me after the first pass, I'm going to show you. Right. Yeah. Yes. And it shows me that he doesn't know. And it was apparent walking in where he was kind of like, you know, I'm like, so did I handle it the right way? Kind of, you know what I mean? But, um, and then after, and then I quickly got it and to the band's credit, they were the only band that came in there to listen. And so I was like, okay, that's cool. And they were like, yeah, man, cool. So, um, yeah, that was the only moment where I kind of sort of stepped out of character slash kind of planted a foot and let them know, hey, buddy, this is how this works, you know? But again, I mean, listen, was it our manager walking in the room? No, it was not. I knew who I was talking to. Would well, I have said that a, to our manager? No, I would have not. This but is I would per- have said something slyly similar with less attitude, you know? Totally. This is a perfect example of what we always talk about, about reading the room, right? Mm-hmm. And making decisions about how deep... <laughs> <laughs> what yes. how yeah. deep of a dive do we go here um by you know because all of this is psychology right like you immediately we could, the dude walked in you saw that he was a nerving azoth that he was just a guy that really didn't know what was happening you needed to you know kind of let him know that you know this is how it works you, you got to give me more than one pass to to get the thing right um, I think all of that stuff is is valid. Um, it's it's about figuring out what's appropriate, right? You know, we talk about this all the time. Where um, 
you know, you didn't like go after the guy. You weren't like, you know, listen, dude. Not at all. No, No, not at all. But but you did it the right way in showing him that, hey, man, you know, that, listen, (laughs) you know, for future reference, just so you know, that's really what you were saying to him. And Um, I also acknowledged his concern because, like, I get it. If I, 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 like, I get it. The vocal was low. Like, I, I, hey, man, I hear what you're saying. But, you know, so there was some acknowledgement of not saying you're wrong. Totally. But. (laughs) Not saying (laughs) you're wrong, but you're wrong. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, you know, that is, um, and that's tough sometimes because your ego gets in the way. Um, I know my ego does. Like, immediately I start, you know. If I and especially if I am in a room with someone that I perceive like really doesn't know what's going on, mm-hmm. and they're treating me like I'm the douchebag, then my ego, I you know immediately just go, okay, dude, I'm about to just crush you, turn you into right, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard uh, not to react. Now, all that being said, I again because it's so different because I'm feeding the room. I had to kind of lost sorts with that. <clears throat> I will never, for, I will, I won't make that mistake again as best I can. So even Mr. High and Mighty, let me tell you how it is. Hey man, I learned something. Just like the guy that comes up and tells you certain section doesn't sound very good at a show and you get kind of pissy and then you're like, mm, there's probably a shred of truth in that. There was, there was some of that totally. in the, you know, you know, it's funny. I actually did, um, a Lincoln Park thing that was like a karaoke. It was in a in one of these um, like Sony studio where they shoot movies, right? Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know they invited like some karaoke kids, you know, to come see this thing, and and also some kids were there for like sound check and whatever. And so I I experienced exactly what you experienced the first day. Um, I'm a serious solo in place guy, man. I'm like all the time, like listening to things individually, pulling yeah. things down, muting things, checking things individually, whatever. I am Everything not, I talk about. yeah, I am not a listen to the big picture when I'm getting started for almost the entire first day. Right. Um, and, and I had exactly the same problems, like people coming in and going, well, you know, the speakers out there are like turning on and off. And yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, and I had to like figure out a way how to get them a, it's a bullshit mix. It's not real, but it was a right. feed from all of my shit. Even when I was muting things and solo and placing things. Um, and I forget how I did it. I really, but it was really convoluted. Like I had to figure out a group in the group in the group and the, you know, yeah. all this kind of shit just to appease the numb nuts out there that there was the full a full amount of stuff coming out of speakers. They didn't care right. what it sounded like. They yeah, just didn't no. want it to change. They wanted it to right. be, you know. Um, and uh, and so I feel for you. It's it's like it's something when you're put in that situation, you'll probably never do again. You'll figure out a way so that you don't have to deal with that, right? I will, or I'll just commit to. It's like, hey, that's what it is. Right. You know, that's the right. challenge of this gig. You know, totally. and I couldn't hear the PA. Like I listened to it when we put it up. I know, I know. And then, I mean, I had no fucking clue what was going on out there. <laughs> I know. know. I, I was surprised that it didn't. I, and I said this when we set it up. I was like, guys, this thing is going to feedback, even at a low level. And the reason I say that 
is one of the coolest things about that gig this weekend is I stomped every vocal as hard as I could within the realm of not completely sucking up the noise floor into it because there was no feedback for me. So, so I mean, every, I laughed so hard. My vocal chain, (laughs) it had a CLA 76, the blue stripe on it. And I would look at it and I'd be like, talking about Christina. I'd be like, Chris, look at that. And it would just be like, I mean, just would never leave, you know, just full on stun. And it it didn't, I had some acoustic, we had to mic a few acoustic instruments in those I could hear start to get a little, you know, a little squirrely in the room. Yeah. But all the vocals stayed stayed pretty solid. Um, they're very solid, completely solid. So um, that's yes, so much that fun. Was, that's so much fun when you get in that situation. Oh, I had um, so much reverb. I mixed with more verb than I have ever mixed with because I could do it. You know? I know, I could do I it. I could hear it, and you know, you watch. And having sat in broadcast seven million times on my own, I know that that is also a good way to homogenize and somewhat even out your mixes that you're spinning up fast is to kind of paint them with this gloss, you know? And so I use that. And even when it made my drum kit too verby, it was still fun. You know, it was, I, I I learned, I learned a lot in, in innumerable ways, um, over the course of the past week. So, um, but yeah, stomping the vocal was a big one. That was a big one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love when you get in those situations. And guys, you know, um, I think we've talked about in the past about we don't change our mixes so much, you know, for broadcast in a normal kind of situation. But when you're mixing for broadcast, then sure. you can do stuff like that. You can make decisions yeah. that are like decisions that you might make in a recording studio versus a live situation in order to make a vocal sound great by just squashing the hell out of it. And a couple times, um, thinking about things that you and I've spoken about and also just thinking about, okay, what if I do it my normal way? Like I'm usually, unless it's a screamer, you know, in live shows, my vocals, God, there's some people, if they're, they just don't sing loud, it might be my finger in one to two DB all night. But on average, I'd say I'm a three to five, maybe a seven. If it's a super fast, if it's a distressor or an 1176, right. it'll grab a peak. Right. But um, I mean, it's usually just needle barely moving. So there was one act that came through. And I was like, no, I'm going to do my normal. This is when I was feeling myself and I knew I was in a good spot <clears throat> and I knew either way I'd be okay. And I did a couple shows or a couple gigs or a couple whatever tapings where I didn't hit it as hard just to do it, just to do it, you know, sure. and uh, just to see what to have. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you one thing I did do. I usually only, we've talked about our vocal chains and I say, I'll put an EQ at the end and I'm just like touching high end on those just to kind of bring it back. Well, ultimately, usually what I'm doing is cutting way more low mids. uh, Hell, everything, but the high man, I cut a lot more in a live show. So the result in effect is essentially a big boost, but I feel safer cutting then I do adding the boost on this one. I was just adding the boost. So even though Got it's it. the same thing, it felt safer. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like doing that live, I feel like if I'm pushing into 5k, I'm pushing into feedback. But really I'm doing the same thing by cutting all the low stuff and just adding gain. So I, yeah. I kind of just get things different. Um, I think it is a different sound. I, I know, you know, we're talking about the same is. thing, like cutting versus boosting 
it yes. is a different sound only because you're adjusting the gain part of that, right? So um, the interaction that happens with the mic pre is different in a boosting situation than it is in, in a cutting situation because you're, you know, uh, you're boosting the gain in a cutting situation. You're cutting the gain down in a boosting situation. Yes. Um, and so it does change the overall result, I think. But, but yeah, I mean, in, in principle, what you're saying is, is true. But I think it really is a different result, especially over an entire mix of channels. Did you find that that was happening? Like it, I did. Yeah, I did. You know, I've become more, for the longest time, I was so into subtractive EQ. And I don't want to be like, I'm so over that now. But, um, you know, I was like, I'm it was a booster like, now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big boy. Uh, I'm a big boy. I, I, I still inherently, when I hear an input, I look for what bothers me first. Like yeah. I just do. And I used to really mainly only like with drums would be the only place where I'd really boost a lot. And I've gotten more into boosting, but as a creative means, meaning even if I still got the same, like what we're talking, like I, there is the difference, particularly if it's a colored EQ. Now it happens to be on my vocal on this one. I know, I know people like it when we talk gear, it was just a Renaissance EQ. It was a good old Ren EQ six. That thing has never failed me, man. That was my EQ on Beyonce. That was my EQ on freaking you name it. And it's worked yep. great. Um, so that is not a colored EQ, but, um, particularly on a colored EQs, like boost sound different. So I'll, I've gotten a lot in my guitars. I used to always just cut what I didn't like and maybe put a touch of EQ. And now I'm all like, you know, just getting there with the API or something and go to town and make it yeah. sound like something, yeah. you know? So yes, I did find that that was, it was really only in vocals where that was kind of different for me. Um, God, it's so much easier there to just be like, where is it? And just turn the thing and go, Oh, 4.7. That's what we're boosting now. Cool. That sounds good. You know? Isn't that amazing so, that we don't realize how much we're handcuffed as live sound engineers in some ways? Like, um, you know, I, whenever I work on a project um, where I'm mixing in my studio or like an example like this in broadcast, um, I, uh, I notice that there are definitely things like exactly what you're talking about where it's like I, there's no way that I could get away with that with, you know, a 270 huge PA and a thrust, there's no way exactly. that I can totally get away with what I'm doing. So it does change your thought process a little bit, but I think it changes it for the easier. Like we always Definitely. talk about how the, a live sound engineer and a studio engineer are kind of merging. It is almost the same job. Uh, and what we're you know putting out of a live sound console is, you know, a record mix that we'd be proud of. Um, but the flip side of that is a, a recording engineer coming to a live sound situation wouldn't know that he couldn't do all of those right. things that you were just talking about. <laughs> yeah. And, and for us, it's like, well, this is so much easier. All I have to do oh. is add a bunch. <laughs> oh, it was great. And like we were in, a, it really was, we were in like a, a makeshift control room. It was, it was literally like their break room that they had put up a bunch of pipe and drape and they had done, man, those guys were so fucking awesome. They did so many things to make it better. At one point I was saying, even my little not so big PA, it was kind of, you know, I like to listen 
in a studio environment, I like to listen. We've talked about this. I have like a loud volume and then I have a yeah. soft volume. And a lot of times it's the soft volume where you can really judge your impact, your impact and definitely your balance. Right. You know, so whenever I'd go to low volume though, I could still hear the room. Next thing I know, these guys are like wheeling out carts of those. What are those giant Meyer subs? You like them? The uh, uh, 1100s. Yes. There was like walls of those around the door. I mean, they were just, everybody was being so great. So we were That's isolating awesome. like we could, but um, where I'm going with this was the room, we did the best we could with it, but it still had resonances. In it. Like yeah, we, totally. you know, totally we, it. It was, I was still fighting a room, but one seventeen billionth to the degree that I would be fighting a live room. I mean, it was I like, I wanted, I wanted a sound. I just went, there it is. Or, or it's not going to happen. I know that with all my heart because I can hear it. Yeah. You know, it, it was, I, it really was kind of easier in that yeah. way. So, and, and the places where I did do things differently, I was definitely doing it all consciously and almost like, ooh, like, like having fun with it, you know, because I know that's not the world that we typically live in. Totally. Um, totally. What were you monitoring on uh, as far as yeah. your near fields? What were you listening took, to? Yeah, I took my JBL. I always screw up the names, the 708 P's yeah. years ago. Uh, I noticed, right. Yep. And years ago, I noticed whenever I went into not all, but de definitely the greater majority of broadcast scenarios, whether it was a mobile truck, fixed studio or a fly pack, they would have the predecessor to those, which were the JBL. I also screw these up. I think it was a 6328 P's or something like it was the predecessor. Okay. And it was like the broadcast the most generic broadcast speakers you could get and they could get loud. They had low end. And I started thinking to myself, I'm like, well, man, if I'm making, making mixes in rehearsals and then those mixes, maybe it's just stems of those mixes. Maybe I'm giving them that mix. If they then go from rehearsals to broadcast, and then eventually they're going to translate to the speak to huge. That was the evolution of my monitoring process path. I'm like, well, I don't, I'll just start with one thing and stick with that. And then in the tour, I'll still use it. And I swear to you, Pooch, I mean, you know, this is not totally true. Of course you tweak for the most part. If I mix on those things, it, it works from, from conception to the speakers. Yeah. Um, and I think that truly is though, not necessarily the speaker. It's that, you know, that speaker so well, yeah in what it does. You know, I always tell yes. people, like people ask me all the time, like, you know, what, what speakers you're using as if they're going to buy that pair of speakers and it's going to be something magic about those speakers yeah. when really that's not the case. Although I, I understand the clarity on those speakers are amazing. I have a pair here in my studio, right? Uh -huh. now, right over here. And right. They're right mm -hmm. here. Um, uh, and, and I love them and they're great. And, and I particularly like the high end sparkly bits because of that D2 driver or what's in that, whatever's in that thing, uh, are, it's a great speaker. Um, and it, it's, uh, the resolution of what's happening way up there is really good. But my point is, is that what it's about is choosing something that you use again and again, and you listen then on something else car speakers, mm -hmm. end user shit, iPhone, whatever. And right. you, you then realize, oh, 
the next time that I work on my speakers, whatever manufacturer they are, I know that they translate a little bit mid-rangey or they translate with too much high end or, you know, whatever. And a couple of times of that, and you can mm-hmm. really, it doesn't matter what the speaker is, right? Like you're going to train like, yourself. The same thing as these, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just a tool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I tell people all the time, it's like, it's not, you know, um, it's not that the M50 sound the best. They are by no means the best sounding headphones, but <clears throat> they have, um, you know, a, a quality to them that allows, number one, for low end, uh, their low end uh, it, to me is real um, and unlike any other headphone. Like I can totally figure out like what's happening in my low mid to low end um, in these headphones. Um, and then I've just learned the rest of it, right? You know, um, an interesting fact, like I have taken uh, an M50 and uh, <laughs> uh, put it through a smart rig and, and figured out what the curve is for an M50. Um, and it's not what you Hell think yeah. it is. It's not linear yeah. at all. Yeah, no. Um, Close back headphones, it's impossible to find a linear response. Yes, yeah. Um, and so... Um, you know, I'm not saying that they sound horrible, but I'm also not saying that they're not, they are not the $4,000 ADs or, you know, whatever. Right. They're not, they're right. not those either, but what they are, are, uh, you know, a, a, for their price point, they show me exactly what's going on with my mix and I've used them for years. And because of that, I also know what they're going to sound, what my mix sounds like in these, what it's going to sound like somewhere else. And that's totally. what we're talking about. We're not talking about, it's not about the gear. It's about learning, no. learning what the gear is doing and what it ends up with in the end user part of that. Yeah. You know? And like when yeah. I said, you know, when you're like, what speakers did you use? I, if anyone was like, here it comes, no one got excited about the JBL 708 piece. Like that's a utilitarian speaker that uh, doesn't really yeah. sound like anything that we, I've smarted that and it's remarkably flat, but like, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. It's just, yeah, know. you know, and, and talk about knowing everything that might be coming. The other reason that I use that speaker and I used its predecessor is it can get loud. So yeah. when the artist walks in and they want some whatever, you want hype, you want hype. yeah, there you go. You can, you, you can go there with it. So yeah. I brought yeah. my own and we actually paired it with a, I hate mismatching, uh, sources, but we paired it with, uh, oh God, whatever that single driver L acoustics sub is, which is not even a sub I like, but, um, and I just did that to give it some bottom. I don't mix with a sub at home. Um, or really ever, even in rehearsals. Um, I did it just in case somebody came in and wanted to hear some 808 drop, totally. you know, but it wasn't necessary. So yeah, yeah, we did that. And that's cool. And, uh, yeah. I, I tend to, um, I have a pair of Genelex that I like. They're the older uh, 1032s. I like um, the 10 series better than the whatever, 8,000. Yeah. But they yeah. don't get loud. So no. uh, I use oh, that red light comes on oh, quick. Man, yeah. So I yeah. sit there and mix on those at a pretty low volume most of the time. But I always have whatever the small box of whatever the PA that I'm using for that artist. Mm-hmm. you know, is, is in there as well. So like when I do Iron Maiden, it's the 1032s, but it's also 
uh, the CP6, you know, the small cohesion box with a pair of subs underneath them uh, so that when the band comes in and they want the hype, I can give it to them that I can't give it to them on the 1032s. Uh, yeah. But, but I, I, I gotta be honest. I spend a great deal of time like on my Genelex just cause I know those, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, back of my hand. So same yep. thing. Um, yep. So was there any, tell us about any experiences you had with maybe new plugins that you liked or you tried or, uh, or maybe ones that you've used for a long time that you used differently or was there any, any of that kind of stuff going on? Well, I'll tell you what I did. And of course, me being me, I waited to the very last night before I left and I sat here on LV1 and I came up, you know, I'm always talking about gain structure and I'm always reinventing my gain structure but only in what the targets are. Um, it's always the same. I basically, what I did was I came up with presets for my kick group, my snare group. I didn't do anything for Tom's overheads, a bass group. Uh, I kind of knew I didn't have a preset for guitars, but I knew what my gain structure was going to be. And I made a vocal chain. So I took care of that's so incredibly me too. I always make something for, Rhythm section and vocals. Those things always. <laughs> yes. And so what I did was literally, and they were not subtle. I texted you one of them. They were not subtle EQs. I mean, it nope. was like, yank, yank, yank. I mean, so if I, it was literally guys like paint by numbers. If I yeah. gained everything up to the, to the right places and then fed them through these buses, I had a sound from the jump. And that was my goal. That's how I was going to get through this quickly. And I've also sat and broadcast long enough to be like, you know, when guys are mixing and I'm just like, Hey, can we get a little, like, can we brighten that snare up a little? And a lot of times guys are 57 on a snare, unless it's a great sounding snare. It's not a subtle boost I'm asking for. No. I mean, I'm saying crank that fucking thing, you know? So I just went ahead and pre-cranked and um, I swear to God it worked. Cool. So everything was just hitting the numbers, pushing it up. I had my parallel chain in. I'll give all this stuff to wave so they can put them out too. I, um, and it was all game matched and it was all really simple. So the only thing I did, what did I use? I used a ton of SS, you know, you and I talked about liking that the CLA mix hub thing, <laughs> you know, it does sound good. It but sounds really good. It does. God I know. And, uh, kills me. But, um, uh, <laughs> I defaulted back to my good old, I know you like the G channel by default. I like the E by default. Yeah. And, um, I just, I kept going back to that one because it gets, it's a faker brightness than what the new, yeah, yeah. that mixed up thing does, but I kind of wanted it. So I just put like SSL channels on a lot of shit. Yeah. My base channel was stuff that I always use. I like a CLA. I like a LA2A rather. Yep. CLA. I like a LA2A. Um, it's just a good averaging compressor that once it gets stuck, we talked about it on a recent podcast or something magic yep. in it. I had that into, um, I did get a new one here. Uh, I had that into like a Ren EQ and then I would use, I messed with our bass a little just to give it some excitement. I had another, guys, I can't believe I'm saying this. I had, <laughs> dude was like, I was talking about how I usually do. I use, I'm a slut. I usually have three bass channels. There's like the main brick of compression. It's yeah. like reverse parallel compression. There's the brick. Then there's the more dynamic one that sits under it. So the opposite of what you do for drums. But then I always have a distorted channel, whether yeah. it's a Sans amp or something else. Your buddy was like, hey, man, put that, put that 
CLA based CLA based thing on there. So again, I'm like, God damn it, don't tell anyone. But okay, I'll try. And Dude, that's so funny. People, you know, get so um, lost in the artist series shit. Like, you know, a lot of guys are like, oh, I don't, you know, that JJP thing has like, you know, sparkle as a knob. You know, why are I you know. using that? That's not. And a, you're talking about me right now. I'm that I guy. I, I refuse to go there, but the shit sounds good, man. Dude, it does. I know. Was I tell people all the time. The wave, but, you had that vocal thing. I sounded great. Yeah. What was that? That was a JJP thing, right? It was, yeah. Uh, Jack Joseph Puig vocal, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the only thing you have to watch out for at Liveland is all of those artist series plugs are super latent uh, just because they, there's, so much, there's so much processing behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, dude, there's so much stuff. Like, I just saw uh, some um, uh, webcast with uh, Andrew Sheps talking about his omni not the omni channel but the, what's the other one that looks like a parallel particle parallel particles yeah and he he started to go down this rabbit hole of like what's happening behind the scenes of all of it and it's like i was like what the fuck that plugin has four knobs but he's yeah. like well if you adjust one of these knobs then it's going into a parallel compression that's a parallel compression of the this and the parallel compression to this and the path is really six different aug sends and i'm just like what is happening you know yeah um and it it's a great sounding plugin i've used it in a bunch of places but i didn't know that there was that much stuff happening like behind the scenes right. um so anyway that i just you know always I always tell people like, check them out. You got to check out the artist series. There's some amazing tones going on there, but also be super aware of latency when you use it. Yeah. And that one in particular, when I instantiated it, <clears throat> dude, there was like plus eight gain on it. I'm like, okay, first of all, no, you know, and what I ended up using on it was like, if there's six available sliders, I ended up using two and I was just right. trying to get that mid range growl. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. You know, yep. so that was, that was kind of an eye opener. The other one it was all my basic stuff, you know, um, like C6 and the 1176s with the REQ at the end. But the one sort of eye opener, I did two things. I've always used NLS stuff on and off and liked it and not liked it. For a minute, my parallel chain and drums was only an NLS pinned because guys, that is compression. You it don't is. see a meter moving. That is compression. And I A B'd the SSL, the 2500, the 1176, and the NLS. And I did that before I left. And I'm like, I like just the NLS on its own. Because, and That's that is awesome. compression. So yeah. it was gain match. It was that into a pull tech. I usually don't follow it with an EQ. I just wanted to do something. In the end, I ended up throwing the, um, I think I threw the 76s back on there. Or maybe the 2500 just to do it. Again, gain match. So that was fun. But the biggest, biggest, biggest eye opener of all is I got bored. In my main drum bus, I basically just ran drums A, which is my drums dry, through Super Rack, and then drums B, and put them in a latency group, checked it, and they lined up fine. You know, so I was like, cool, we'll do that. But then I got bored, and I put this same thing that you and I played with that one day, that MDMX overdrive <laughs> thing. Yeah. I sat there and fucked with it, and I found this setting that just made the drums sound kind of modern and a little brighter. And I, on the front end of that, put an SSL. So my dry bus, this was like the last day. I was like, I'm going to make right, this right. the most in-your-face drum sound. 
so that was kind of a a wow moment you know doing that but other than that it was real meat and potatoes and i just used the digico for virtually everything else you know yeah. so if, if I, I needed a plus like i need more i'd throw an ssl channel on there pretty boring yeah. pretty standard stuff but it no, works I, I get it i get it i'm like um i'm that guy i have been that guy for years you know oh yeah ssl channel ssl channel and by the way you know i like the g channel but it's only because I worked on e-channel consoles, the real ones, for years and years and years. So I'm like, I don't want to use that. I want to use the new. <laughs> I want to yeah. use the new yeah. shit. It's like totally. It's not because of how it sounds at all. It's yeah. because I'm like, you know, uh, I used that for years. I don't want to, you know, look at that strip. Um, right. But um, yeah. Anyway, um, you know, I learned. It's one of the things that I've learned from you, and I can't wait to incorporate into my. Um, workflow is having that third drum bus and having it be something wacky like that, you know, MDMX thing or, or whatever it is to mm. kind of, you know, tighten up the other two things that are happening, adding some harmonic distortion and, you know, that kind of shit. Um, that was never like on my radar before you started talking about it. And um, so now it's, it's part of my uh, workflow. Like I've been building cool. mixes here, and being like, oh, let's try that. And I've had a couple of successes with it. So thanks for that. That was good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, um, what was so, I going to say? No, it, oh, it was yeah, funny. I, yeah. uh, well, no, 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 go for it. I kind of lost the exact wording on what I was trying to say. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, so was there – tell us about the overall experience. Like what – first off, let's talk about the COVID – Yes. Getting in, getting in the door every day, and what about yeah. like you know? Are you was there cleaning all the surfaces? And like, how did tell us all about that? Like, what are we looking forward to? What that's going to yeah. turn into? Well, I can tell you, I was, uh, I was in the middle of what that looked like there, which was very real and very thorough. And at the same time, I talked to Toby Francis, who's at the VMAs, and they're being like tested every day. Yep. and put yep. in bubbles. I mean, it was what they were going through was even more hardcore. Um, but what, you know, it's like intellectually, I knew what a gig during COVID would look like. I just hadn't experienced it. So I'd filled out all the papers, extensive paperwork, background checks, and all the things you'd expect. But then getting there on the actual gig day was quite surprising because there was a very extensive check-in process. And you know, usually when you get to a gig, at most, you're handing your backpack to some totally disinterested security guard <laughs> who by opening it and looking at it goes here when you could have nine <laughs> bombs, and, you know, <laughs> and that's usually annoying and a pain in the ass. Well, this was like backpack comes off. It goes through some car wash cleaning process. You don't see it for 15 minutes. Wow. Um, there was some, some paperwork that you had to fill out every night. I didn't realize that at the beginning. I was like, I've done all this. And they're like, no, you have to do it every night. So there was, if you didn't, then you had to do it again. Of course, there's the temperature check. Um, there was like five different points of entry, you know, before you actually walk in. And all of them took some time. And, um, and then you had to wait for your bags. And then, of course, you know, it's just the, and all of this is for the most righteous of reasons. I mean, this is exactly what we should be doing. A hundred percent is this what we should be doing. Um, and then there's just the whole, just the mask, just getting used to walking around and everybody's masked up and you're, you know, you're getting hot in your mask. You're getting bothered by your mask. You want to pull it off. You want to, 
you know, you're judging, you're meeting people, like the whole, I'm sure we've all been through it now, you know, there's no one shaking hands, right? You know, you might get an elbow bump or you might, everyone's kind of, so, you know, it was just a weird, it was, it was weird. I mean, it was a, super weird, you know? And then in my room, Chris and I could keep enough space to where I would take my mask off and then someone would walk in and I realized I didn't have to put, put it on. on. Yeah. It's just the whole, it's just a weird time, you guys. Wow. <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing. And, you know, artists would get up there and they go to check their mic with their mask on. And I'm like, take it off. We're not going to do that. And, oh. um, but I mean, I, I will say I got used to it and I was so grateful to be there that it was okay, but it was jarring. It was the yeah. like, oh, wow, yeah. this is where we are. This is how it's going to be. Yeah, right. This is it, at least for the foreseeable future. And I, and I will say this, all of that stuff we're talking about is a gigantic expense. So we can only hope that when we get to whatever that safe place is, and once we start to feel comfortable that this world runs on money, maybe that's an expense they're willing to forego. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. Definitely not now. I mean, Jesus, yeah. you know. I mean, uh, I, that it, you bring up a really valid point that I have a kind of been having discussions with people about. It's like part of the problem is, is that we are, we're limiting people coming to shows, right? So now we're saying only, you know, whatever it is, I don't know now, 50% of the people can come now, which cuts tickets in half and we're increasing costs by almost 50% by, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's like, it's totally, it's out of whack. And you know, the money people are going to look at this and say, there's no, this doesn't make sense, you know? <clears throat> yeah. And, and you know what? I actually take solace in that fact. I mean, you and I only touch on COVID and I yeah. say kind of still dance around it safely. I will say this because there's so much money involved in what we do as we're all trying to tell the rest of the world, Hey guys, we're dying over here. We're also worth a ton of money. Us. Yes. Right. There's 12 million of us. We make X billion dollars a year. I will say this, wherever there's that much money, there is the willingness to find a way to make all this work. And I take solace in that. I really do. I think they will figure out ways and find ways to make all this work. But the big thing here is just, it's eventually, and it's just yeah. not tomorrow, I you know? know? So I was I grateful to be in there. I was grateful for the hassle. Yeah. I'll take it for now. Totally. Totally. You I know. know I would too. It's like, I I'm sitting here, uh, you know, most days going, man, I would give anything to go do something. And I would, I don't care how hard it's going to be. I'd go do it. You know? Um, yes. The, uh, what I've always said in, at least in the next few months that like, there's super, you brought up a great point. There's super, super smart people, way smarter than me trying to figure this out, right? And, and seeing that it's, it is an industry that's hurting, that needs to work. It's also an industry that can make money. We're, we're valid. We are, you know, it's, we, yeah. are, we are not just a, an industry that doesn't need to happen. Um, right. But I, I think that if all of those smart people can't figure out how to do sports, then mm -hmm. we're, you know, it's like I'm using sports kind of as a gauge to see yeah. when we're going to go back to work. So um, it yeah. was particularly um, unsettling for me to see all of, you know, college football, uh, you know, everybody just pretty much saying, nope, we can't do it. Um, yeah. Cause that means that the smartest people in the world can't figure out how to do it without a vaccine and without a, you know, whatever. And that's it. You just said it. That's the qualifier. 
the yeah. vaccine because sports are still large scale sports are profitable enough without the crowd. We are not by that's definition. Right. That's the difference. We yeah. are not profitable enough without the crowd, that's you know? Right. So the qualifier really is, that's the difference is, is that, is that vaccine, you know? So God, yeah. I tell you what, what in the world? I mean, just looking around the room with everybody in a mask and it's like, what the fuck? Like, you know, what, are, what is happening? I know. Yeah. It's a how did we thing. Get here? Um, I'm interested to see, you know, I saw something in uh, Instagram the other day where they did a show in Europe, I think, where like everybody kind of had their own VIP platform that you couldn't leave. Yep. Like you pay yep. for it and there's 12 people in a little square, you know, like a VIP platform and there's, you know, 20 of them or whatever everywhere. So it's kind of like drive-in except that it's on platforms. Um, and I thought, Oh, that's pretty innovative. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah. I mean, and when I see that too, I'm like, I applaud the effort and I don't mean that in a, like, I mean that in a very real way. Oh like, yeah. They're trying to, cause I too, when I see every one of those platforms, I'm like expense, expense, expense. Yeah, and the yeah, distance yeah. between them is lack of, of revenue, lack of revenue. So yeah. At least they're trying, yeah. you know, totally. Um, totally. But, you know, I will say this, aside from walking in and it just being super weird, walking back into a gig, you know, a lot of those guys, I'm at that PRG VER shop, like they haven't, fortunately, they haven't stopped working. Yep. You know, they no, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of furloughs everywhere and for with every company. Um, but, um, you know, they've at least been in their environment. I mean, me yeah. walking up the first day, I was kind of like, no, that's sort of suck. I mean, I've been mixing at home a little, you know, I've been, you and I've been talking ad nauseum about this. We got together and did some stuff a few weeks ago, but I, to just getting back into it, it did take, it took a day. It took a day of kicking off the rust. You know, Dude, I, I went up to, um, uh, Tater's place up there in Michigan to film, uh, some videos for Digico that uh, the last one that we did just came out yesterday. Um, and, I got in front of a console and I felt like I was the dumbest yeah. <laughs> MFer on the planet. Like I'm standing there like, uh, yes, I don't remember how to make this thing work at all. Like, you know, yeah. um, so I would imagine that we'll finally, you know, when we do get back to shows, I'll be the same way. I'll, you know, walk up to a console after not being in front of it for four months and just go, uh, and we talked about this, like we're talking about how it was ultimately eat kind of easier and nicer and just mixing on near fields, you know, that situation coupled with a hundred and whatever DBA coming at you in a room shaking. And that's going to be like, what, you I know, know, right. I know that, that's going to be the big eye opener of it all. I think that at first we're going to have a lot quieter shows. <laughs> I, know. I, know. I know so. People I know are, so. people are going to fire it up and go, Whoa, that's freaking loud. Yeah. Let's turn that down. Yeah. You know? Um, totally. But yeah. Um, Cool. Uh, was there enough about that COVID crap? Whatever. Um, no, it's good. No, no, it's good. I mean, you know, we needed to talk about it, but it's like, it's depressing and I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so fuck that COVID stuff. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, okay. So was there any other experiences over the course of what happened that were either a bad experience or a good experience as far as, you know, dealing with the musicians or dealing, you know, any of that kind of stuff going on. I would say the big thing, the thing that I kept thinking about, 
then again, I really did think just because the bulk of heavy lifting that I've been doing, you know, I know you've got a, a few shows. You're so incredibly active, but this is kind of, I do a few things here and there, but this is like my main one. A lot of times it's, it really made me think back just a lot of stuff that we talked about. And, um, included in that were, you know, guys coming in with tracks where either it's like a bunch of mono tracks or it's, you know, with this thing being taped, there were some people there that were there with like a two mix track, but they knew the tracks were going to be dealt with later, but I still had to contend with it in the moment, you know? So there was a lot of that track nonsense that was bothersome, but I kind of understood the biggest thing for me was after that first day, after I kind of got my shit together, you know, it, I'm the same mixer and I told you how I'm doing it. It was paint by numbers. It was hit the marks, hit my presets. There's a mix pretty damn quick. Sure. Just variance in players. And, um, because you and I, we harp how often we're, we're in a place where we rehearse for months on end. We work on one act, several songs that this was back to like band, 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 band. And you know how intellectually I know that the pieces are different. But sometimes like emotionally, I'm like, oh, I'm struggling with this one. And I'm like, well, he doesn't hit that drum in the same spot every time. Therefore, it doesn't respond the same way. Don't go chase your EQ. It's him. Or the bigger thing, because this was in Nashville, a good portion of it was country stuff. And therefore, my dreaded, I talk about them all the time, acoustic guitars. I must have had a, a dozen different ones. And I swear to God, one of them sounded likable. Isn't one, that amazing? You know, like, why does no one have a good sounding acoustic guitar? just the quackery of all the electronics is often just so incredibly annoying. But we had one act. This was, this one really stuck out. We had one act and it was, uh, now it's one thing if you're mixing slash and everything's on 10, that is kind of a vibe. (laughs) It's kind of a vibe. And is it annoying? Yes, but it's, I get it. It's a high gain amp. It's kind of a vibe. Maybe you can gate it and it's low. Like there's, I get that. This is a show that's, yes, there were bass. Yes, there's drums. Yes, there was, I think even keys and an electric guitar. So there's some like beefy stuff to kind of hide behind, but there was a Dobro, nothing but buzz. There was a Mando, nothing but buzz. There was an acoustic, nothing but buzz. As soon as we pull them up, we notice them. They're not subtle. And as we get to talking, and I think they even had their own, guy their own monitor guy it's basically like yeah we we chase this all the time and i'm just in my head i'm going how is this okay because you know so literally so you know what happens when i push those and you know those sources amidst the band have to really be pushed to get out this as soon as i pull those faders up it's nothing but three times and it's just like guys fix your shit you know How do we fix this? Because this is a common thread, you know, and it's certainly something that we've talked about, but I mean, it happens all the time. It's like people show up with shitty sounding stuff. You know, I've said this several times. I was a guitar player and a bass player when I was a kid and I spent hours, you know, just as much time as I was practicing, I spent getting my tone right? And getting it to sound right. And like, I was like, you know, if there was one little buzz or one pedal that was making some weird thing, like I trace it down. So I don't understand when guys show up with stuff like that. They're, I guess they're just focused on their playing and don't care that their instrument is making that noise. I I don't understand it. 
Um, so I don't know how to fix it. Like, uh, I don't either. You know what a big part of it too is like, if there's six guys in the band and maybe they have a monitor guy, that's seven people. They're all used to it. They're just used to it. The other guys in the band are like, turn him down. The dude's got a thousand other things that he's worried about. Guess what? It's not a big deal to them in their little world. They live in particularly if they're all in ears now. I mean, they're just, you know, so in their world, it's just not a big deal, but it, like your world is then presented to, we're going to say the masses. Yeah. Like it's not yeah. just in your, Oh, it's cool. I know it's their world, you know? And I think that's what happens. There becomes this hive mind, um, sort of mentality of, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's blah, blah, blah. Rick. You know? And they forget that like, no, but the point of this is to disseminate all of this information to a large number of people. And it's going to matter. So like we got to a point where I lived with, sorry, I lived with some of these buzzes. I mean, it was bullshit. I'm like low passing, notching, boosting. I've been there. I've been there. You know, you know, know, just to make it work. But then we'd get to like an acoustic thing and I had them put mics on the stuff because again, we could, I wouldn't be able to get away with it live. But, um, but we at least mic'd it up because I'm like, you don't care now, but when this video that you just someone spend all, all this money on when they go to mix it and it's you sitting there telling this touching story about the song you wrote for your <laughs> grandma. <laughs> you're going to care. You know, no, you're going to no, care. No, so no. that was a big one to me. It was just the people. And there wasn't a ton of that. There really was. But when it was there, I'm just like, you, what the fuck? You know? So maybe it is holding. Um, so, Maybe holding a higher standard to the the traveling monitor engineer and the engineer that's with that band instead of being like maybe ever well you know maybe all the other musicians in the band are like yeah you know John's thing sounds like shit he turned that down in my monitor you know whatever exactly. but maybe it's the job of the monitor guy it to is. be like this is unacceptable like dude, or the whoever to- engineer yes. yeah. Like we need yeah. to deal with this. Maybe the way to fix this is not to go uh, to the masses and the musicians and say, "Hey, you need to, you know, make sure that your sound is good." Maybe it requires every guy from the beginning of a band to hold a higher standard to their musicians and say, "This is not acceptable. It's not going to work." Yeah, um, totally. Because that's obviously what's happened, right? You know, nothing against. I'm not talking shit about the guy that was with that band, but he gave up. He didn't like, you know, he didn't keep going, Hey man, we need to, you know, fix this. And, and I don't think that certainly on a tour rig, I have never let it go. Like I, I have had (laughs) almost fist fights with black backline guys because I've come at them for four or five days straight. Like, dude, you got to fix this. I don't care what you do, but we yeah. are fixing this. I'll help you, but right. you know, we're not leaving not it okay. like this. And, right. and a back, you know, I've had a backline guy be so frustrated because he can't figure out how to fix it that he get mm-hmm. ma- he gets mad at me for me coming at him so hard. And, uh, and then, then that's the whole thing of touring. Then that lingers then that lasts because you have to live with the person. It's so real, man. It's, that's <laughs> so real. It's so real. But you the know? point of that, the point I'm trying to make is that I don't, I have never let it go. Like I yeah. have 
never done an entire tour where there was something that was broken and not sounding mm. right for the entire tour. Mm. Now, there may have been a week of me, you know, battling with someone going, man, you got to fix this and I'll help you and whatever. But I never, yeah. I, I never let it go. And so that's, I think, yeah. you know, I think that, that people need to do that. Engineers need to do that. They um, should. And there's that feeling on all of those inputs too. That as soon as I pulled them up, you know, it's not a ground, you know, it's <laughs> yes. not a, and I always say it, I'm like, to do it, flip the ground, but yeah, I know that. Do it. That's, that's the, not going to fix it. Yeah. That's the, your shit's fucked up sound, <laughs> you know? So that one, that, that stood out to me was just the instances of those, again, of which there were not many. And if there's anything I love about working in Nashville, it's the quality of musicianship, the, the attention to tone. Totally. All of that kind of stuff. Um, man, did I make some good vocals this week. But if there was one sort of sore spot, it was some of those buzzes. You That's know? amazing, dude. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you what, some of the yeah. younger act, knowing that it was taped, some of the, oh, we'll have blah, 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 fix it sort of <sighs> mentality. That that was prevalent with quite a few. Yeah, yeah. Even live, man. Even you know, people are so used to just having the performance. Like we talked a few weeks ago. You know, it's like they'll fix it. They'll fix it. They'll fix it. That's a bummer. (sighs) That's a bummer. Yeah, I mean, it's a sound, right? Like we've talked about this before. You know, like auto tune is a sound, um, Mm -hmm. and people get used to it, and so. Um, you know, both you and I have used AutoTune as an effects processor almost just to get the right sound. Right. Um, and that's, that's because of exactly what you just described. Um, yeah. So uh, we've come up here on our hour, um, but uh, is there any kind of last thing that you want to share with us about it? And uh, besides the fact that it was, uh, you know, it was fun to go do a gig. <laughs> real quick let me just mention that i mentioned chance who put it all together superstar yeah. thank you so much yeah. josh Sport, is great Flay, yeah. so great flame and yona christina my spirit animal yeah jason swartz uh dave mcmullen and kyle shepherd and i'm sure i forgot other people no the I only thing i would cool. like to impart is when it felt after okay i sucked for a day you know some of the acts made me feel like i sucked periodically but when it was happening, guys, it feels the exact same. It's still out there. I know it's few and far between. I might not do that again all year long. It, God damn it, it felt good. Yeah, good. And to, to drive away with that feeling, it's still, feel, it's out there. It's ours. It's going to be, we'll get it again. Just, it's, awesome. it's still what you think it is, you know? Well, I'm glad. And I just spent the last hour living vicariously through you. So uh, thanks for that. <laughs> I'm sure we'll it. trade places on this. Eventually. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, all right. Cool, man. Well, hey, listen, guys, thanks for tuning in. We sure do appreciate you coming. Uh, 30 hours, man. That's amazing. Uh, thanks for for uh, telling your friends. Um, you know, make sure you hit like below and subscribe. Uh, tell all your friends and uh, we'll keep doing this. Thanks a lot, guys. We appreciate it. Take care. See you, everybody.